0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Logistics, and joining me as always is ACFS CEO, Arthur Zaneros. Arthur, welcome. Thanks for having me. So Arthur, last time we spoke, we had a real focus on the ACFS business, in particular expansion, some of the new initiatives that the business has taken on board, but today we're going to do things a little bit differently. I think we'll have a more of an industry-based discussion in and around shipping and supply chain, so let's kick it off. What's been the biggest change you've seen in the supply chain in the last 12 months?
1: Oh, look, uh, no doubt the astronomical growth in, in shipping freight rates has probably been one of the biggest challenges for importers, exporters, freight forwarders uh, across the industry. What we've seen is, is growth in shipping rates, you know, contracted rates in, in some cases have gone up 500%. And spot rates have gone up even more than that. Uh, so it, it's, it's been a challenge for uh, importers, exporters, freight forwarders and, and anyone involved in that supply chain of, of freight. The other big change, I think, is, is more of a domestic change and and that is we've moved as a country from a just-in-time model of imports to a just-in-case model. Um, and what that means, to, to expand on that further, is that um, – Australian importers became very good at managing their inventory and getting it here just in time, uh, and they've moved to a model now where they can't take risks of of having empty shelves, and that's resulted in carrying a lot more inventory here uh, in containers and also in regards to warehousing capacity, which has really been stretched uh, to the limits, uh, even having an impact in regards to there's so many pallets in warehouses these days that Suppliers of pallets have struggled. So Chep and Loscombe being pallet suppliers have actually fallen short. So there's some, been some real battles out there within industry over the last 12 months. Arthur, what are the impacts that
0: the increased volumes have had on the industry?
1: I think it's important to note that the the industry in, in Australia simply was not ready for the onslaught of volume. You know, ports volumes uh, historically over the last few years has grown Circa that 3 to 4%, and we've seen numbers in the last few years as, you know, varying, um, but as high as 15%. So it's a material increase in volume uh, coming through the ports. Our infrastructure on the waterfront, um, whether it's transport, access to to new trucks, trailers, FCL storage facilities, uh, warehousing infrastructure, empty parks, the whole supply chain has struggled when it comes to uh, imports and exports. A further point is container supply chain shortages. You'd never think that um, shipping lines around the world uh, had run out of empty containers, but um, with the challenges that COVID has brought, the growth um, and the stimulus that has been put out there by varying countries around the world has has created a, a shortage in, in containers, a- and that in itself um, has really affected Either productivity, um, it's affected supply, which also results in in higher freight rates. Uh, as a result of the container supply chain shortages, shipping lines have actually changed their tact in regards to container detention rules. So um, you know, some companies that had the the luxury of 10, 14, or 21 or even 30 free days have actually had their free days cut back. And what this has resulted in is is a serious amount of container detention for industry um, whether you know you're an importer or a freight forwarder and and then there's a battle between who's at fault is it because the container has been stored or has the container not been returned in time by by the the transport provider but um, to, to give you some guidance on container detention you know a 40 footer as a guide is about 300 dollars a day and someone's got to pay for that and that cost is really being felt by industry over the last uh, twelve months, uh, due to the uh, to the change in container detention free days, container detention, I, I guess, is a real exposure and has real risk for supply chain. The significant costs that have been incurred by industry over this period has the most severe consequences of even sending companies broke. So, it's it's something that um, I think a, as an industry needs to be looked at. Uh, needs to be taken seriously because, you know, with with lesser competition, you know, we all know that that results in in higher prices eventually for, for for everybody in the supply chain, and in the end, the consumers too. Oh, absolutely. The the consumers um, will end up
0: paying for it. There's no doubt about that. Arthur, you talk about shortages to containers, but with all the growth in the industry, one of the byproducts of COVID is that it's affected manning levels. How has COVID affected staffing in uh, the supply chain? Uh
1: there's no doubt there's there's been an everlasting impact that COVID's had on, I can say for landside industry. Uh it's getting harder and harder to to find people uh within our industry. I can give you an example just within ACFS alone. In Melbourne during periods of COVID, you know, we would order, you know, a hundred people, for example, in one of our warehouses and we'd be lucky if fifty turned up. So it's a fifty percent attendance rate. Um, you know, moving over to our, our transport fleet um, today, on average, we're somewhere between ten to twenty percent short on our required driver fleet. That means trucks parked up. And as a business, um, we're working very hard to resolve that issue. We're we're even considering um, alternate forms of advertising. We've we've even gone to the extent in Sydney as an example of of advertising on billboards on the M7. Wow. something that we've never done before so we're we're trying many different ways of recruiting attracting staff there's been uh, an everlasting impact what I will say is that if we don't resolve it in due course the result will be we'll have to remove some trucks from the fleet and and operate a smaller fleet which you know ultimately um, means we have to probably review our customer base to some extent as well.
0: Is this simply a conversation whereby we you know we have to be speaking to people in government about skills training is that, is that what the issue is? is there a skill shortage for for truck drivers and the like? Well, I think it's important to note that we've
1: we've got an ageing workforce in our industry um the average age of our truck driving fleet is somewhere between fifty and fifty two years old. We also in the transport area it's it's not easy for a school leader to to come out of school and become a truck driver. They're uninsurable until the age of 25. So you don't leave school and become a truck driver. We, we've got to go down a path of, of skills training, of firstly attracting them to the industry, getting them through varying stages of our industry, whether it be warehousing as a first step, a laborer, forklift driver, where they can come in as, as a school lever, and then upskill them through the journey. Yep. Um, as they approach 25, get them their truck license, and have a, a process in place to do that. That's something we're keen to do. That's something we're, we're keen on working with the unions, with governments in providing uh, that pathway. But again, we're not sure which government's going to be uh, elected uh, at the uh, at the next election. So we'll work with with um, the elected uh, government um, if they give us the opportunity to, um, to discuss this further.
0: Now, Arthur, we hear so much these days about the cost of shipping. Can you share with us what's happening in this space? I think it's important
1: to go back in time um, with how we've ended up where we are with shipping. I'll I'll call it for the last 10 years or so, shipping companies in majority have been losing a lot of money. Um, It'd be nothing for a shipping company to lose a billion dollars a year for continuous number of years in succession. It's unsustainable. And and what that meant is shipping lines, some shipping lines um, hit the wall and um, went into receivership. Uh, some shipping line companies uh, merged uh, whilst others were taken over. What this meant is lesser shipping lines. Um, and with lesser shipping lines, um, you know, it has resulted in higher rates. Um, you know, it's, it's well known that shipping lines are making record profits. Um, but having said that, um, they are... I guess capturing some of their losses of the past, and, and albeit they've done that very quickly, it is a result of of industry bargaining their their supply with shipping lines over a long period of time at below cost rates, with the lessening of competition. This is the result, and you know we need to be careful about this because it's not just with shipping. I see it a lot in 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 the transport industry where importers, exporters, freight forwarders, they, they don't actually know the cost of landside or, or, or trucking rates and they just pride themselves on getting the lowest rate, albeit sometimes below cost. And I foresee in the next uh, 12, 24 months that we will see a lot of transport companies going broke and or being taken over because they're no longer viable and they've and they're, they're, they got their backs to the wall and they're going to be pushed into um, either selling or, or even closing down before before they go bust. So, I, I think it's a message out there for 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 industry is to to ensure your supply partnership um, with whichever supply it is is a commercial one, but
0: more importantly, a, a viable one. Arthur, it sounds like you're hinting at something here.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm hinting at the um, at the, at the point that uh, customers have prided themselves for a long time here on getting the lowest rate possible. It's really important, you know, and we've seen the consequences now with shipping lines and we're feeling the effects of, of increased rates with shipping lines. But if the modus operandi continues um, across the supply chain, you're going to see the same consequences in, in transport, rail, uh, warehousing, where there won't be that many providers. We're seeing it in the States. Uh, yep. We're seeing it in Asia where in in some parts contracts are being torn up despite there being a contract and whoever pays the highest rates gets their product moved. Um, We don't want to see that in Australia Um, and and I guess from myself it's an impassioned plea to those within the industry, uh, those who import, those who export, the freight forwarders out there to ensure that your your transport companies uh, are working under a strong, commercial, viable
0: relationship. Now, Arthur, you're at the coalface. What do you see the major industries affecting transport and rail, landside industries?
1: As I said earlier, the shipping line detention is a big one. It's a cost that no importer exporter budgets for, no transport company out there budgets for, no freight forwarder budgets for. It's a hidden cost, but it's a very real cost. It's it's I've seen um, you know examples into the millions on a per month basis as a consequence of of container detention. The other key points, I, I think, is the lack of infrastructure. Australia's really been caught out. The, the lack of infrastructure, especially in regards to rail. Transport um, with traffic on Australian roads, um, you know, increasing on an ongoing basis. Our road infrastructure struggling to keep up from whether it's federal funding or, or state funding and the push towards rail. You know, it's all good and well to have a push towards rail, but you've got to have the infrastructure to service rail. What we're seeing is in various states that the infrastructure isn't there. Rail infrastructure in Brisbane, for example, doesn't connect to the container terminals. You've got rail infrastructure in in, in Sydney that is currently you know, being developed, but um, there's still a significant lack of windows available to increase the rail mode share in Sydney. Uh, in Melbourne, as an example, You know, there's there's a lot of work being done by the Melbourne Port Corporation to connect rail directly onto the terminals. DP has a small rail siding. Patrick is developing a a rail siding, but will still won't be ready for another year or two. And VICT is still will be missing a a rail interface for some time. So that connectivity to terminals. uh, You go over to Perth. Their connectivity of the the rail connection to the terminals is at maximum capacity today, has no more capability to do any more volume. So we are constrained um, in the industry by our rail infrastructure in particular uh, to support our road transport
0: um, solutions. So Arthur, if you've got your crystal ball in front of you, what would you like to see in, say, in the short term, three to five years?
1: I'd like to see some continued investment and continued focused investment, one by by ports and, and credit to some ports. Um, around the country, they they are investing, and and some are investing quite heavily uh, in comparison to others. I would also like to see a standardisation of a minimum in regards to container detention rules in the country. You know, we do need a minimum of ten days free um, from the shipping lines, and you know, I have a view that that should be standardised as a minimum free days. Um, and and look, there's some contracted customers who who may negotiate more than that but i think there should be a minimum standard so it doesn't become a matter of high freight rates in addition to shipping line detention
0: that that is incurred now we've touched on a couple of issues impacting industry we've you know we've touched on covid we've talked about shortage of containers when do you expect the industry to normalize
1: uh, not any time soon. Uh, I don't expect. I, I don't expect it to be in, uh, 2022. I don't expect it to to normalise um, in in 23 in any material manner. I think the better question is, what does the new normal look like? Yep. The the new normal. I don't think we'll ever go back to where we saw shipping rates pre-COVID. Um, and you know, whilst I'd expect by 2024 to for, for rates to normalize, I also don't e- expect the rates to be subdued to the level that you know some importers, exporters freight forwarders expect. So I think the, the new norm will be um, you know, heightened fr- freight rates from, from a shipping line perspective. I also think with on, on the land side as competition potentially uh, exits the industry uh, due to many of the factors that I spoke about today. I think there'll be fewer transport companies out there. I think they'll and we could see rates rise further within the the transport supply chain industry as
0: well. Arthur, ACFS is one of the nation's biggest transport companies. What message have you got to, you know, fellow members in the shipping industry, in the supply chain, maybe even government? I think the, the supply chain is
1: one industry as a whole. In pre-COVID, not many people knew about the transport supply chain and/or shipping industry until they ran out of toilet paper, which you know <laughs> in all fairness, great example. <laughs> <laughs> which in all fairness, most toilet papers are actually produced domestically, so I'm not sure why <laughs> people were running out for it in order to purchase it. But um, I, I think industry's got to look after each other as a, as a whole. Um, I think there's there's got to be a few changes. I'd like to see some wage increases um, amongst the lower tier carriers to bring them closer to the top tier carriers. Um, so you know, employees out there within our industry get a good day's pay for the for the work that they do. I think that's very important to industry. It's it's, it's close to my heart individually, um, and, and we do pay very well uh, at ACFS. More importantly, I think there needs to be some education amongst importers, exporters, and their commercial yeah. partners, being landside logistics providers, as to what the real costs are. And in shore, um, the question should be asked amongst amongst each other: Is are you making money? It's a conversation that's not had enough. And um, you know, whilst ACFS is going fairly well, and there's no complaints, you know, from from an ACFS perspective. I do worry about our peers um, in the industry. I, I speak to a lot of people on, on a regular basis, um, those competitors, and, and you ask them how they're going and, and you know, times have never been tougher for some of those. Volumes are up, you know, working extremely hard, making a lot less and or if any money at all. So, you know, I think uh, competition in the industry is, is healthy. Um, you know, we'd like to see it. There's no carrier and or provider that can do everyone. You know, as much as we, we'd like always to do more, it's also healthy to have good carriers out there who provide a good service. And, and you know, the the impassioned plea to to the industry is work together in a collaborative
0: approach, you know, for a better outcome, not just for today, but ongoing. So some challenging times ahead. Now, it'd be remiss of us before we let you go to just shine a light on ACFS. Is there anything to look forward to in regards to the ACFS business?
1: Uh, not for today <laughs> I,
0: will, I will commit I will commit uh,
1: to another podcast in early july um, there's a, a number of uh, strategic uh, initiatives expansions um, that are destined for targeted first of July, and they will be all rolled out together so uh, silky, I look forward to catching up again in early July and um, expanding on on those uh, developments uh, when I'm able to announce them publicly.
0: You make a great poker player, Arthur. (laughs) Thanks very much, mate. Thank you again.